Beer, Cheese, and Murder is a true crime podcast about Wisconsin from Wisconsin. Due to the nature of true crime, this podcast contains explicit and graphic content which may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Beer, Cheese, and Murder. I am Erica. Joining me today are... Bonnie. Dina. Jill. Kayla. And Terry. We got the full gang tonight. Yeah, how about that? Nice. Girl squad. In a few weeks. Yeah. yeah. Many weeks. Yeah. Actually, probably since the uh, gangster crimes when Kayla popped in out of nowhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. So can I, we have to tell a little bit about this. So this afternoon, we're listening to it because you just dropped it, I think, yesterday. Yeah. And um, so Kayla pauses it and she's like, okay, I know I wasn't at this one, but I feel like this is all deja vu and I already know half this stuff. She's <laughs> like, because I know Terry's going to come in and she's going to talk about the movie and then how her Pilates person like was involved with it, but got cut. And I'm like, well, I think that was like a follow-up one, like maybe the next time. But like, she, she was so confused. And I was like, well, you would know if you were there or not, you know, <laughs> like, I know you haven't been to many of them. We finally then figured out that this is the one that she came in late but we didn't like Erica didn't take a break to like announce her or whatever yeah I think I came in like shortly after it started but then I didn't know how to like I didn't know when to so I just kept myself on mute and that's I was like I know this whole episode but I wasn't there and then it was like Kayla's here and I was like oh yeah she she (laughs) didn't remember she was there (laughs) I was like I remember all of this but why am I not talking I was not introduced but yeah, that's funny. Well, and then as we're on the note of the gangster crimes episode or gangs, Wisconsin's gangster history, I should say, um, there was obviously talk about nicknames. So I was thinking about this and I don't know if we might need to have homework from this episode for the next one where we each come up with like a gangster nickname for ourselves. For ourselves or we could yeah. nickname or like nickname throw ones out because I I have one in the process for Erica well first off I, I already have a nickname it's the sommelier because I am a certified sommelier so it just sounds sassy oh, it sounds it? like something I don't think it sounds sassy at all it sounds I mean, like a job title <laughs> well there was killer I think was one of them, but no, I was actually inspired. I was thinking about this on my way home from work today. Um, so I'll at least put out what I was thinking for myself, but we'll have to assess whether or not we need to have some homework and each come up with a gangster nickname and then present it to the rest of the group, uh, and, and explain why we came up with those names. So I was more so inspired by Babyface Nelson so um i have like two options but they're kind of like the same you could come up with one and then it could be like the other one uh as like a shortened version so uh or freckle face ricky <laughs> i like that i like that because uh, i know that dina was talking about i think it was yeah dina. said something with ricky, ricky in it yeah um so there's freckle face ricky or just straight freckles Okay. Can I throw mine out there for you? Yeah. All right. So I was going more with the MC because you're like the master of ceremonies. Okay. But also, did you guys know it also stands for mic controller? Back that's rap. I Okay. So I learned that at um, the Rock and Roll Museum or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when we were in Ohio, and it was talking about the rap artists and 
how they started out. And anyways, there's this write-up, maybe I'll find it, the picture on my phone, but it was saying MC, mic controller. So Erica is our mic controller and our MC. So I kind of was looking at MC Ricka. (laughs) (laughs) Cause it's kind of the Ricky, but you got the Erica and it's got a little twist, a little spin as I like do my little DJ what do you call that slide? Ear, 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 yeah. You could also, could also take that and make it McRicky. McRicky, yeah, we could (laughs) McRicky. So, and that was, and then the other one that I came up, but I think I like MC Ricka or MC Ricky or McRicka better. It was a Siri MC. And that was basically Erica spelled backwards. Kind of like Harpo Industries. Oprah. Okay. We also were talking about Oprah. <laughs> oh. Uh, all there right. Well, anybody have any other gangster names at the ready, or do we need some homework assignments? No, I did not even think about. I that. didn't know I was supposed to. No, I don't remember that. No, we weren't supposed to. It was just that. Yeah. Um, no, it was just one of those things where we were talking about, like, oh, we'll have to think about it for the next episode, and then I think we all forgot about it <laughs> because we yeah, had a yeah, lot. Yeah. Um, but since I was listening to it through uh, publish it, that's what made me think of it. But anyway, so we might have to take that as a homework assignment. So I think that might be kind of fun to see what we could each come up with for ourselves aside from the criminal names because those ones are a little bit. Uh, interesting uh but yeah so all right so let's see jill what do you got on deck for beverage right so i realized that uh i think this was at the beginning of summer i had gone and purchased a few wisconsin wines from total wine and of course, I got white wine because I wanted something sweet, like sitting out, you know, patio pounder or something. But now it's almost the end of summer and I haven't drinking them. So, and it was so gorgeous today. I thought, oh, tonight would be a good night to have one of those sweet white wines. It is Fawn Creek Winery out of Wisconsin Dells. And it is a summer sun. That's the name of it. A grape wine with tropical fruit flavor. And it says Fawn Creek Winery is nestled in 36 acres of woods overlooking the vineyard. Let us pour you a glass of our wine and taste the good life. Produced and bottled by Fawn Creek Winery, LLC, Wisconsin Dells. And um, oddly enough, my cousin who has like a country band and my uncle plays with him sometimes, played at um, this winery this summer when we were actually in the Dells. Um, But I ended up not making it over there to see them, but it just kind of jumped out at me. And it is very light and refreshing and very sweet. So I recommend it. There are a few signs for Fun Creek right off um, the interstate and Highway 12 area, I believe. Okay. So um, some friends of mine were just talking about going there. So nice. Maybe yeah. I'll have to check it out. It looked gorgeous. It looks like they have a beautiful like stage. It looked like I, if I remember correctly, like a covered stage in the vineyard area. So nice. That's what I have. All right. Well, I'm actually going to be highlighting more than what I'm currently enjoying. Uh, but this past weekend we were up in Door County and we stopped by, Kayla and I actually went to Island Orchard Cider. We had ourselves a couple of flights of some cider while Sean pulled the boys around in a wagon. So I had a little mom break, which is great. Um, but yeah, so we each had um, a flight. So we had four different um, choices for our ciders. I chose the pear cider. I like that one. Yep. The apple cherry cider, the apple ginger cider, and the apple lavender cider, which are all considered part like classics on their menu. So all except for the pear are actually at 6.9% ABV, but the pear is at 6.5. So it's just under there. Um, But they're all like very good. 
definitely take your time and sip them, especially if you're thinking about driving or going anywhere. So it was nice that we were able to take our time. Um, I will say that the apple ginger and the apple lavender, if it's not your thing, I probably wouldn't recommend trying it. I know that um, they definitely, you can definitely taste the ginger and the apple ginger. I like ginger. Um, I'm actually a big fan of Moscow Mules, which has ginger beer in it. So I liked it a lot, but I did overhear a couple at a table not too far away saying that they thought it was not so good. So if it's not your thing, probably stay away from it. But if yeah, you if you don't ginger, like smelling ginger or eating ginger at a sushi restaurant, it's not your thing. Yeah, <laughs> But it was, I love, I thought it was great. Yeah. I thought it was great too. But again, it all depends on your palate and what your flavors are similar with apple and lavender. Tummy. Ginger settles your tummy. It does. Yeah, it, it does. does. Yep. Yeah. It's good for digestion. So you could say that it's good for you, even though it's alcoholic, but <laughs> I like oh, yeah, the so. lavender. I was surprised because I didn't think that I would like the flavor. And although the lavender was fairly strong, I actually enjoyed it. It was, it just was like re much more refreshing than I expected. It's also, I think with the lavender, I was telling Kayla that it's like the perfect, you know, soak in the tub complimentary drink because the lavender has like a calming, um, mm -hmm effect with the aromatherapy and stuff like that but yeah so all four of those were great um I actually am currently drinking some of the pear cider because we happen Ooh. to have a bottle at home we also have a bottle of the apple lavender but the pear just sounded really refreshing for for tonight um so it's not why. not as sweet as you think like these it's ciders not, from yeah. from yeah. It, they're good they're really good and they're all what do we say Erica because first I said you were like, oh, I'm catching a little buzz. And I was like, there's no way. I mean, they're only like four or 5%. I looked on the menu and I was like 6.5 or something. <laughs> yeah. This I mean, one, they're, they're strong. I mean, they're stronger than beers or as strong as beers. They're good. Yeah. yeah and they're not one. sweet as you, they're not as sweet as like, if you think of cider, you're like, oh, it's not my thing, but I'm telling you. Try I love it. ciders. I am, I'm really digging ciders these days and it's coming into fall. So I think it's like cider season really, but no, the pear is 6.5%. And then the apple, cherry, apple, ginger, and apple lavender, are all 6.9% ABV. And then we actually did buy, or I bought a bottle of their brute cider, which is also another, um, classic on their menu. And that one also is at 6.9% ABV. And the reason why I bought it to go is actually because, um, at the checkout, they had these four pads of paper and each pad had a different recipe on it. And we were already planning on doing fondue that night up there. And they had one of the recipes was for apple cider cheddar fondue. And it called for the brute cider as part of it. The other ingredients were medium or sharp cheddar, a little bit of flour, some lemon juice and pepper. And, it, you know, just dip whatever you want in there. We had sourdough bread, French bread, Granny Smith apples, carrots and broccoli. I mean, that was literally our dinner that night and it was delicious. So um, definitely highly recommend that. I mean, you know, you get this, you get the, the, the beer or the cider, and you also get the food all in one with the cheese. It's just delicious. And, um, that was just one of the four recipes that they had I actually grabbed two other ones as well. So who knows, maybe we'll try those in the future also, but definitely recommend that the apple cider cheddar fondue recipe, um, actually was authored by Joan Peterson and Teresa Allen. And it was originally, um, out of the Wisconsin local foods journal cheese edition. And on there, it says fondue is the dish of camaraderie. It has that everyone around the pot way of bringing people together. So, and it's good with uh, somewhat finger foods with the bread for the kids. They definitely think it's fun too. So definitely recommend that. So check out Island Orchard Cider in Ellison Bay, Wisconsin. Maybe take some stuff to go and try out some recipes. Definitely worth it, I say. Yeah, I've gone a few times. It's, I like it. I do the tastings each time, even though 
I generally get three of the same and try one new one. I always buy the pear cider. Yeah, it's good. That's really good. All right. Is everybody ready to jump into it? Yeah. Yep. All right. So Wisco fact. Our case today takes us back to Western Wisconsin and the Driftless region, which we visited when we, I say visited in quotes, uh, when we discussed the tragic story of Clara Olson. And much of the details of today's case is based on a newspaper clipping from a Viroqua, I hopefully said that right this time. Yep, you did. Um, Viroqua newspaper and as such I have selected my Wisco fact accordingly. Uh, Viroqua is an accredited Main Street America city. Its downtown is listed on the Wisconsin and National Register of Historic Places. Uh, in fact, Viroqua, Viroqua was dubbed the, the town that beat Walmart by Smithsonian Magazine in 1992 because it fostered businesses that coexist with the retail giant. The city and its nonprofit Chamber of Commerce, the Viroqua Chamber Main Street, actively promotes small business development through several state and federal programs. One noteworthy program that has kept downtown storefronts occupied has been the Pop-Up Shop Initiative, which allow entrepreneurs to use a space downtown rent-free for the holiday season. Wow. That's nice. Yeah, rent free. Mm -hmm. So Viroqua, the town that beat Walmart. Mm. My dad dated a lady from there. So that's the only, <laughs> really? I just know like where it is and how to pronounce, how to pronounce it. it. <laughs> not much else. I've never heard of it. <laughs> it's over like by lacrosse. Okay. You did when we did the case on Clara Olson. Yeah, we, yeah, we talked about it with Clara Olson. Yeah. Uh, it's been a while. She had said it wrong at that time, and I yep. corrected her. Because I wanted to say it like Minocqua, which makes me wonder if Minocqua is correct. Maybe it's Minocqua. Probably not. Everyone in Wisconsin says Minocqua. So yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Minocqua. But Viroqua. Viroqua and Minocqua. All right. So like the Clara Olson case, our case today, or perhaps more so story, is historic, even more historic than the case of Clara Olson. But just like the story of Clara Olson, this case is also sadly true. Dubbed in a 1932 Viroqua Censor article as the most dastardly crime in history, this crime occurred on May 24th of 1888. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so it's kind of incredible that this article actually still exists. So around that time, the Viroqua population was close to um, 1,270 people. Since then, the population hasn't grown significantly considering the amount of time that has passed. It's been over 100 years, and yet... As of 2019, the population was estimated as about 4,402. So it's barely grown in that time period. So before we get into, um, so what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to read the article um, that I was able to find, which was actually published in 1932. Um, of the case from 1888. But before I get into it, I wanted to talk about the victims a little bit um, from the crime. So the main victims were Reuben Golden Drake, who was born in Hunterton County, New Jersey on November 27th of 1824. So at the time that the crime occurred, um, he was 63 years old. And that took place in Vernon County, Wisconsin. So he was born in New Jersey, but through his life ended up back in uh, Wisconsin or in Wisconsin. His wife uh, was also a victim, Matilda Ann Drake. Um, her maiden name was Sanders. She was born January 24th of 1827 in Columbiana County, Ohio. 
at the time of her death. She was 61 years old. So Reuben Drake was one of the first settlers of Vernon County. Um, when he was quite young, his parents moved to Ohio and settled on a farm. And so that's where he met his wife, Matilda Ann Sanders, and they were married in 1846. He bought a piece of land in Indiana and spent one and a half years in Indiana um, working his land. And then he returned back to Ohio in Perry County, and they stayed there until 1855. And it was at that time that they then relocated to Wisconsin and specifically to Vernon County. He and Matilda had 10 children, six girls and four boys, and only five of their children actually survived to adulthood. Wow. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah, but unfortunately not uncommon for that time period. So their children were Alden, Mary, Isabel, Benjamin, Ashley, Jesse, Oliver, Epsi, Julia, Evelyn, Clorinda, Jane, Elmer, Ellsworth, Elmer, Ellsworth, Cynthia, Ann, and Laura, Matilda. So now when the crime occurred, May 24th, 1888, Reuben and Matilda were caring for their two grandchildren in order to help out their daughter, Clorinda, who was at that time pregnant with her third child. So their granddaughter, Laura Dupee, was seven years old, and their grandson, Denver Dupee, was just six years old. So unfortunately, all four of them were victims of this crime. All right, so now I'm going to, you'll have to bear with me because this is a uh, scan of an article that was published in 1932. Um, so not only is it a potentially difficult to read from that standpoint, but also the way that we wrote and spoke back during that time period is different than it is now. But I'm going to read through this article because it's, it's, it's kind of amazing to see the snapshot of history and how we used that type of thing one, it was sad, so it was newsworthy, but then also it was almost they exaggerated some of these tales a little bit for the purposes of entertainment as well, because they didn't have TV um, and things like that. But so the article that I was found. Well, actually, sorry, just to clarify, did you print it out like Jill does? Or no. are you, you going to I took it up to the camera? I didn't <laughs> even bother asking. I took screenshots and I copied and pasted into Microsoft Word and I'm reading it electronically. Oh, I'm sorry. That sounds like what normal people do. Okay, go on. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Normal. Bonnie, jump in for me. Jump in with me. (laughs) You like tiny print, so Uh see. (laughs) Anyway. Abnormal. Abnormal. All right, so the headline of this article is The Most Dastardly Crime in History, The Murder of Two Old People and Their Helpless Grandchildren, written by O.G. Oliver uh, Munson, and it was published on June 8th, 1932 in the Viroqua Censor. So I actually found this on... um, Oh my gosh, Wisconsin Historical Society website, I believe. I have it cited. So, but yeah, it's really kind of amazing. One that it's open for people to come and check it out. You don't have to subscribe necessarily, although I'm sure they're willing to accept donations. But the fact that they have these types of articles that are from almost 100 years ago on a crime that occurred well over 100 years ago. So here we go. In the courthouse yard, almost under the shadow of the county capitol, beneath a sapling, rests a marker placed there by the late Dr. Porter two years ago that attracts attention from almost every person who passes the spot. The plain simplicity of the marker, June 1st, 1888. 
imprinted thereon provokes very frequent inquiry as to its significance. It marks the fatal place where Andrew Grandstaff was executed at the hands of a determined band of men bent on revenge on the date indicated. Pickings, standing on the very spot 44 years later at the same hour of the dreadful hanging reenacts as best he may in detail two major crimes in history. He can only do this because he witnessed every move and detail of in the tragedy and by reference to the files of his paper covering many columns. So this was published 44 years after the crime and um, there's an individual that he's talking about that had actually been alive and present when the crimes occurred. The issue of the censor of May 30th, 1888 tells the story of the shocking Drake murder. The issue of June 6th recites the full tale of the murder, the confession and execution, every word and fact of which was gathered and written by Pickings, covering 10 days of intense anxiety. His tasks also extended to providing the telegraphic news for the daily press of the whole country the capture and arrest. On Thursday morning, T.J. Farrell, a detective from Pinkerton Chicago Agency, accompanied by ex-sheriff E.S. Goodall, left the city for the scene of the Drake murder for the purpose of investigating fully the dreadful affair. At Reedstown, they were joined by C.E. Morley and F.H. Rogers, the party proceeding to the neighborhood of the tragedy where their labors were continued till nearly evening when a courier came from Viola, giving them pointers, which caused the immediate arrest of Andrew Grandstaff. He was found at the residence of his uncle, Albert Jennings, in the town of Liberty, had retired for the night and was asleep. Mr. Jennings called Grandstaff, telling him he was wanted. He immediately came down the stairs and made no resistance. His weapons were in a coat pocket that hung on a nail in the lower story of the house. He was ironed and taken to Reedstown where the officers kept him till an early hour in the morning before a confession was obtained from him. Ironed instead of handcuffed. Yeah, ironed. Grand staff first gave himself away by telling the officers that he stayed at the house of John Knable in Forest. Richland County on the night of the murder. A messenger was once dispatched, was at once dispatched to Knables, who on his return reported that the statement was false. This broke him completely up and he protested that he was crazy on the day and night of the 24th and could give no account of his whereabouts. This condition of mind, he asserted, he had been in at times since he was injured last winter. You want to bet it was a head injury? Four hours were spent with him, and he finally consented to give up the story of the bloody crime on condition that the officers would get him um, away from the neighborhood without being lynched. He was willing and anxious to take sentence and immediately taken to state's prison. The good old days. Right. Yeah. He would get lynched or mm-hmm. he wanted to go right to jail. Yep. Maybe we need to bring that shit back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He was brought to Viroqua, reaching here at seven o'clock in the morning, placed in a room at the Park Hotel under guard, where his confession was again repeated and reduced to writing by the district attorney field, acknowledged before Squire McMichael and witnessed by C.E. Morley in the presence of five persons. So this is Grand Staff's full confession. So just fair warning, the details of the crime he committed, especially considering there are children involved, are sad and graphic. So this is his confession. I am 24 years old, live at Kickapoo Center. I left Al Jennings Place in the town of Liberty about 8 o'clock a.m. May 24th. 
went along the ridge through the woods and off the ridge at Newville and across the river at the Gold's or Geds Bridge, crossed the Kickapoo Bottom to the east side and went onto the ridge in the timber and then along the ridge to the point above Reuben Drake's house. Got there, I think, about four o'clock in the afternoon of the same day. I stayed there until dark, then went in down into the bottom and up to the house. Stopped and looked into the window, then knocked at the door. Mr. Drake said, come in. I entered the house and asked him for a drink of water. I took the drink and spoke a few words to him. They called me by name. I asked him if he had any money, and he said he did not. Then I drew a revolver and told him I wanted his money. He said he did not have any, but he was expecting or looking for some. When he said he did not have money, I shot him. When I first went into the house, Mrs. Drake was in the bedroom putting the two grandchildren to bed. Just after I shot, she came out with the rifle. I think I had then shot at the old man twice. He so had wait, fallen. Granny came out with a shotgun? Hey, this was 1888. Yeah, well, hey, that's what I'm saying. The good old days. Yeah. As she came out of the bedroom door, I shot her, and just as I shot her, she let the rifle fall. Shot her twice, I think. I looked in the drawer and saw there was no money. The children were then awake and bolstered up on their arms, looking out into the sitting room. I then thought I would have to kill them, for if I did not, they would tell on me. Then I cut their throats. Oh, oh, man. I cut the little girl's throat first. She lay on the front side of the bed. The boy was up on his elbow when I took hold of him and he struggled. I cut his throat, but don't remember of stabbing him. This is the knife I did the cutting with. This is the revolver I did the shooting with. I picked up the old man's rifle and left the house left by the kitchen and up over the hill. I went clear over the hill and washed at the river, went about one and a half miles north to James Foreman's field. I hid the gun there about 30 rods from the east corner by the side of the rotten log, about three or four rods north of the fence, covered it up with leaves. The gun is on the upper side of the log toward the field. Changed my clothes at Jennings, had on a roundabout. I stayed out in woods till about seven o'clock in the morning, slept in a shanty in George Wilder's field, went from there to John Knable south of Viola on the ridge, got my dinner and my clothes, told them I just come from Jennings, went from there to L. Jennings, met Sheriff Gosling on the road with another fellow, also Charlie Hood and another fellow. I met Wilder at James Cushman's sawmill at Kickapoo Center. Saw Mrs. Cushman there. Wilder told me about the murder. Mrs. Wilder was at home. She talked about the murder. Saw Booker stop there. He had heard of the murder. I got to Jennings about sundown Friday evening. Mrs. Jennings got supper. I went to bed soon after his. Um, so this is, and that was... Um, his full confession. So then after he went, he was in bed when they came and they got him. So he didn't make it very far, uh, which is really sad. So he killed them, went there for money, didn't get anything, killed them anyway, ended up killing the kids because he was afraid they would tell on him. And it all didn't matter because they caught him anyway. So pointless. So... After, in order to get his confession, his condition was like he didn't want to get lynched. He wanted to get out of there. So they did try to get him away. About nine o'clock, it became noised about the streets. And it was the truth that the officers in charge of Grand Staff were preparing to quietly slip him away to La Crosse for safekeeping. 
At this, a large number of citizens rebelled and made it impossible to remove him elsewhere, but to our own jail where a large crowd followed and the county buildings were strongly guarded all day. And this is a fairly small community considering it was only maybe like not quite 1,300 people at the time, but a large enough group of them came out of anger over what had happened. So it's probably a fairly tight knit community. Okay, so unfortunately he did not get his wish. This is the second crime. So the first crime is the crime that he committed where he murdered four innocent people, including two small children. Long before the supper hour, the city was mysteriously filling up with men who came from all directions and gathered in bunches on the principal street corners engaged in earnest conversation. That rumor had gained circulation during the day that at nightfall, a mob would gather at the jail and lynch the prisoner. But this was looked upon with a degree of doubt by many of the citizens up to this hour when the most skeptical began to entertain fears that the rumor was too well-founded and a riot would ensue. So essentially their plans were to come and lynch him and it was making its way through and people initially thought they're not going to be able to do it. But now they're like, okay, there's like enough people that this is getting out of hand. We got to get them out of here. Everything was excitement with crowds of men rushing here and there till near the hour of nine o'clock when a great change was noticed and a calm prevailed that would have been sufficient to quiet all fears had it not been for the fact, which was evident to careful observers, that the crowd was dispersing one or two at a time, only to meet elsewhere where they did and perfected an organization, appointed a leader and procured the necessary tools for effecting an entrance to the jail at the blacksmith shop of J.F. Parker. They made it look like they were breaking up, but in fact, they were just getting more organized and they got the blacksmith on their side so that they could bust into the jail. From here, they marched quietly in a solid body of at least 300 men to the jail where they made a demand for the prisoner of the officers and deputies on guard. So it's like 25% of the population of this entire area. The determined crowd was reasoned with, but without avail, and at once began their dreadful work. The guard was soon overpowered and an entrance secured by means of a heavy section of iron piping used as a battering ram with which the outside wooden door was forced open and slivered into a thousand fragments. The inside guards were completely overpowered and almost trampled upon by the furious mob and a bold rush made for the murderer. The section of the jail in which Grand Staff was confined is located on the upper floor and is a solid cage made of three-eighths inch boiler iron and door and window to which are made of heavy iron bars running both ways and riveted. The lock was broken from the door after considerable effort and now began the prisoner's desperate fight for life. Crouched in one corner of his iron quarters and armed with a bed rail from his cot, he held the whole crowd at bay for fully an hour. The fight was intense and bloody, but he became exhausted from loss of blood and exertion and was finally seized by one of the mob when a shout of victory went up. A rope was placed around his neck, his hands tied, and he was taken to the bottom of the stairs. Here, a halt was made and the officers and others pleading, pleaded for the release of the murderer from the hands of the people, but without avail. The only thing the desperate crowd would listen to was that the murderer should be given a chance to make a full statement. Grandstaff could only reply by insisting that he was innocent, that he had made no confession to an officer or any other person. A voice was heard asking, did you cut the throats of the poor little children? To which he replied, I did not know they were there. Eeks, that's not an answer. Many other questions were put to him, but were answered with no satisfaction to the multitude. Calls were then made upon all who were suspected of knowing that a confession had been made by the prisoner, 
but all gave the call a deaf ear or attempted to have the crowd understand that they were aware of nothing of the kind. In fact, the officers were very properly protested that nothing of the nature had developed. So certainly not corrupt. They were actually trying to keep the crowd from killing this guy. After nearly two hours of suspense by the mob in endeavors to ascertain to a certainty that the prisoner had made a confession, it seemed for a time that the crowd would weaken and spare Grand Staff's life till morning at least. But finally, one of the leaders mounted a box and put new metal into his followers with the positive assurance that they would make no mistake in lynching the man before them. This put new vigor into the affair and with a large number of men clinging to the rope and shouting, come on, hang him. Grandstaff found it convenient to follow them at a brisk trot. He was taken to a young hickory tree about 20 rods from the jail where the rope was thrown over a limb and he was soon suspended between heaven and earth. During the terrible fight in the jail, he had been considerably jammed up and with the blood covering his face, he was a horrible and sickening sight. The prisoner was hung up three different times and let down for the purpose of giving him a chance to talk. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Can I take this back? (laughs) Oh, I was like, yeah, the good old days. This is horrid. Yeah. Take him down. The thing is it actually happened. So crazy. Um, that the people might know whether or not there was anybody else implicated in the terrible deed. He failed to throw any plausible doubt on the matter, and he was drawn up for the last time. He hung for 11 minutes when a physician examined his pulse and pronounced Um, life extinct. The soul of the most bloodthirsty criminal known in the history of Vernon County had gone to the unknown. So even with what they did to him, they're considering him the most bloodthirsty criminal known in history of Vernon County. Yeah. And people used to gather in big crowds to watch those hangings too. Yeah. Can you even imagine? Oh, well, you used to be able to watch the electric chair stuff too. Yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. But that's not like in a totally open forum. Correct. Right. But I mean, just the whole thing, like that people would want to go witness that and watch it. Yeah. Well, this is purely based off of confession. I mean, it's not like they had DNA evidence or anything like that back then. Mm -hmm. I think it was still like a hundred years away before more or less the first DNA like testing really started. Whew, but anyway. there was none of this like 20 years until you're you know sentenced to death it's like all right you did it you're dead yeah right right appeal 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 right. yeah. well in in this case the officers that he had confessed to were actually trying to get him out of there they they weren't they didn't necessarily sentence him to death he hadn't even had a trial yet this was purely public execution where they they literally broke the door down into the jail and busted into an iron cage to get him out and then it sounds like he fought them off for an hour before they were even able to drag him out of there it's pretty intense Their purpose accomplished, the mob dispersed, the lifeless body was laid in the jail office and everything quieted down. The body of the dead man was taken charge of and prepared for burial by Sheriff Gosling, after which those who wished were permitted to view the remains. People who had not witnessed the lynching had by the time gathered from all points of the compass, and it is estimated that 2,000 people took advantage of the opportunity afforded them or offered them of gazing on the features of the one who could perpetrate a crime second to none in history for atrocity. Wow. The body was finally given over to Mr. Hill commissioner of poor who deposited it in the potter's field at the county farm 
deposited the buried them in oh in the potter's field potter's field yeah for the fourth gotcha when the sober he, uh, he stuck them in the bank tube and <laughs> pressed the button <laughs> okay sorry <laughs> oh goodness send it over when the sober second thought returns to the men who led the determined life-taking mob last Friday night, which avenged the bloody murder of the Drake family at Sugar Grove on the evening of May 24th, they will regret the rash act. Although several bad murders have been committed in the county in years past, this is the first lynching that has ever occurred, and the county has always borne the reputation of being a law-respecting law-abiding community. Andrew Grandstaff, the desperado who lost his life at the hands of Judge Lynch, <laughs> Judge Lynch, <laughs> deserved thrice the punishment if it were possible to administer. Thrice. No crime more revolting or atrocious was ever committed, and if mob violence was ever justifiable, it was in this very case. So he's it's even writing that he even after this horrible scene that they still think it is justified and which at the time that this article was written it was 44 years after the fact and they're saying that nothing since this time compared in atrocity. <sighs> Notwithstanding the enormity of the crime, the censor regrets exceedingly that this stain has been laid at the door of our people. To be sure, no better citizens live in the country or county than lent a hand in the affair, and they, at the time, no doubt thought their act justifiable. A young man with whom Grandstaff was associated during the winter in shave, shaving hoop poles at Kickapoo Center gave the first pointer that led to the assassin's arrest. He states that Grandstaff proposed to him early in March that they rob and murder the old people Drake, said the old gentleman had been saving his money to build a barn, proposed that they go to the house and make their way, uh, make way with them before they retired for the night, for if they did not, one or both of them might be killed by the old gentleman with his Winchester rifle. The companion refused to assist in the crime. So this is kind of getting to kind of after the fact. I mean, it sounds like they did talk with him before he was arrested, but at the same time, it's like it, everything happened so fast. They got him. He confessed. They broke in, lynched him. Now it's shaking out all the details. So this is kind of getting to why he was even there at the Drake family home in the first place why did he even commit this crime so essentially is money motivated he was going there for money knew Ooh. that they but he had to have known or planned to murder at least reuben and matilda because he knew that they had a gun and wanted to get there before the chances were that they themselves would be murdered in the endeavor to make the prisoner talk, he was repeatedly lowered from the limb on which he hung and in his half-dead condition endeavored to implicate others in the horrible butchery, making the statement that he and two other men had completed arrangements for the murder of the Drake family on that night, but that he had arrived at the house of the murdered people too late and only in time to hear the shots fired by the others. In view of his full confession the morning previous, there was no dependence placed in this statement, and it was believed he told it for the purpose of gaining a respite. So it does respite. Respite. Oh, looks like respite. But anyway, yeah, respite. So essentially, when he was lowered, he did try to claim his innocence, probably to try and save his life because they were going to kill him. But he had already made his even though the officers didn't admit to the mob that he had confessed and they tried to keep it a secret that he had in fact done so, he had already committed or confessed to the crime to them. So 
that's where they were saying like yeah he may have tried to save his skin at the end but he'd already confessed yeah um, yeah i mean give the guy credit i mean <laughs> if it's the last breath i take i'm gonna try to probably blame somebody else as well yeah it wasn't me i didn't do it don't kill me during the day the officers apprehended or app- apprehending trouble telegraphed governor rusk for assistance to put down the mob should there be an attempt made at lynching to which the governor replied that he had full faith in the conduct of the citizens of vernon county and if you remember actually i believe it was governor rusk was the governor when we did the um bayview massacre case and he was also called upon then for the national guard Um, So later in the evening, and when all efforts to quiet the mob had proved fruitless, a second dispatch was sent to the governor, but it had become so late then he answered that it would be impossible to render assistance before morning. The officers performed their whole duty in trying to defend the life of the prisoner. The tree on which Grand Staff was stretched, a nice hickory, and the finest one in the courthouse yard has been nearly ruined by people who had a determination to get a piece of bark, leaf, or, le- or limb or leaf from it. The authorities, yeah, the authorities find it impossible to preserve the tree without placing a guard over it day and night. The rope, 30 feet long, and an inch in diameter has been cut into small shreds. People with a mania for gathering up such things as a reminder of the most tragic event and uncivilized procedure that ever took place in Vernon Vernon County. Some years ago, the tree died and was removed. So just people are so frenzied or so morbidly curious over this event that they essentially destroyed the tree just taking i think it's actually known now as the souvenir hanging tree um they ended up having to remove the tree because they killed it essentially imagine dear reader if you can the feeling of terror that would naturally come over you after committing one of the most villainous murders on record and then put yourself in the place of andrew grandstaff Leave a house with the blood stain of two innocent children on your hands. Peer out into the darkness and dense woods and remain all night. Oh, horrors. Who could stand such a strain? Yet Grandstaff said he felt not the slightest fear and slept well the remainder of the night. Yeah. Yeah. In precisely one week to a day and at the very hour in which neighbors of the Drake family heard the fatal shots fired, the officers made the arrest of the assassin. In his endeavor to appear unconcerned in the matter, Grandstaff said he had slept well every night. He had probably conversed with a hundred people about the murder and not the slightest sign of emotion or guilt was shown. He used all manner of expression in condemning a a fiend and brute who would commit such a deed. Grandstaff had undoubtedly committed many petty crimes and been connected with others in their commission, but he kept his secrets and so far as the censor is able to gather revealed nothing of consequence. Those who were in league with him are, if we mistake not, rejoiced at his taking off. The people of the Kickapoo country in general breathe easier with the knowledge that he is not at large. Grandstaff was desperate and dealt heavy blows to many of the mob. Some of the citizens of Viroqua even bear a resemblance of having come in contact with the bed rail flourished by the murderer in his last frantic struggle for life. Reverend E. Trim visited the murderer in his cell Friday afternoon and he admitted all. He feared no hereafter, smoked, chewed, and laughed with the glee of a child. The murdered man's Winchester rifle was found in the identical spot described by Grandstaff in his confession. It was discovered by Joseph Truesdale of Viola, who was with a searching party after the same. So that's kind of the end of the article, at least with what I was able to find, but essentially 
additional pieces of information come out to not only show that his character wasn't very great and that he had no remorse over what had happened, um, but also that his confession was kind of validated by the discovery they were able to find the weapon in the location where he said he stashed it. So they evidence seems to suggest that this guy was a piece of shit and he did in fact do it so the townspeople kind of got it right yeah so um information on andrew grandstaff is pretty hard to find i guess not surprising considering this happened in 1888 um, but i did find a few different sources to provide some details there's some disagreement over you know between the sources on when exactly he was born um but based on his confession um i would say he was the one source that said he was born in 1864 based on the math is likely correct so i believe he was born in 1864 so he was 24 at the time that he committed the crime and when he died by lynching um his mother was Mary Jane Grandstaff. His actual father is unknown, um, but may have had the surname Love. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, Mary we Jane. We all say uh-oh because somebody on the podcast here has family with the surname Love. <laughs> yes. But the person is not answering for a good reason. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so it just said unknown love um, with the indication that love was the surname. So I didn't find a whole lot of information that may or may not mean anything, but it's possible that the father may have had the surname love. Mary Jane herself was born in June of 1949. So based on him being born in 1864, she would have only been about 15 or 16 when he was born. Possibly why they don't know who the actual father is because they wouldn't have admitted who it is. Yeah, she's, she's pretty young. Um, she went on to marry multiple times and had a few more children. Um, his childhood was likely not the most stable, and I'm sure that that contributed to his criminal behavior. Um, as noted in the article, as believe Grandstaff had likely committed other crimes prior to the murders of the Drake family. Again, money motivated, petty crimes. Um, this was his the coup de grace, I guess, and ultimately his undoing. And then also per the um, article, it kind of mentions the potter's field. So his body, when taken away, was buried at the Vernon County Poor Farm and Asylum Cemetery. And then the tree, which was also kind of mentioned, ended up having to be taken down due to how much it was destroyed from people coming to collect souvenirs. So it's actually known as the souvenir hanging tree and is no more. So definitely reads like a almost fictional tale with how um, just how crazy it all happened. But this legitimately happened in 1888, very different time period. Um, but I, I think it's interesting even just reading through the article to see how they wrote about things, how they told the story, how they told the tale, um, because it's essentially their form of entertainment at the time, as well as uh, sharing the news. No Twitter? No Instagram? <laughs> no Twitter. No Facebook? <laughs> oh, can I just say those were the days? yeah exactly <laughs> those are still my days <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right so you guys ready for a high note yes yep. okay. 
So sticking with our somewhat festival theme. So this, uh, I thought, and I actually read through this. It's the right year. <laughs> Yay. Okay. <laughs> so there's a flannel fest on the farm. Flannel fest. <laughs> flannel How many single men will be there? Right? I can't say. That sounds okay. fabulous. Yes. So Flannel Fest on the farm takes place on Saturday, October 22nd, 2022 um, from 2 p.m. to 9 p.m. And this is at the Holy Hill Art Farm in oh. Hubertus, Wisconsin. Yeah. So you're going to have some really great fall color mm -hmm. to observe. Holy Hill is actually beautiful. It is gorgeous. Yeah, and get some serious steps in if you go. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so about the event, so a carload ticket. So it's all the peeps you can fit in one vehicle. And that actually says that I don't say those types of things. Anyway, so it's <laughs> no, it's it's twenty two fifty for a carload ticket. So as many people as you can fit in. It says put on a flannel and grab your friends while the fall days are still hanging around. Soak in the autumn air and walk our groomed trails with a perfect view of Holy Hill Basilica. Relax and enjoy live music with Tim Castle's Country Legends Tribute. Barn doors open at 2 p.m. chili contests, 2 to 4 p.m. Taste and vote on the best chili Prairieville Desperado. Oh, sorry. This is like all like mashed together. So barn doors open at 2 p.m. There is a chili contest from 2 to 4 p.m. So you get to taste and vote on the best chili. I could make a comment about barn doors. <laughs> well, if they're single men, those will be opening too. No, <laughs> With any luck for Kayla. Hey. She doesn't need that much luck. Okay. Let's... I'm joking. Um, all right, so Prairieville Desperados, um, so that I'm assuming is a music group, show from 2 to 5 p.m. Uh, it says the fastest and best cowboy fast. Oh, wait, no, maybe not. This is a Desperado show. Um, so if you got kids, I bet they'd love this. 2 to 5 p.m., the fastest and best cowboy fast draw shooters in Wisconsin. Join us on the farm. Um, and then they do have live music from Tim Castle's Country Legends Band, and that's from 4.30 to 8.30 p.m. It says cash bar open along with farm fresh hot grilled sandwiches, soups and sides, all for purchase. Enjoy a wine or hard cider flight with our unique Wisconsin blends. Watch our live chainsaw artist make a hand carved pieces of art and get a chance to purchase the finished designs. And your ticket will automatically enter you into a raffle for a chance to win an original piece of artwork from one of our many local artists at the farm. And the drawing will be at 4.30 p.m. So you have to be present to win, but it's pretty early in the evening. What, so what day is this? This is October 22nd, so Saturday. Oh, okay. You'll, you'll be gone. Kayla, you want to go? Will we be gone in October? <laughs> Once you go, we'll, we'll borrow Grandpa Z's SUV. I don't no, know. October, they'll be back. Pack us all be here. Oh, October. Okay, not September. Okay. Yeah. Where are we going? Like, yeah. do you know something? I don't know. Um, no. <laughs> <September>. <laughs> so I was hoping for great weather and a hot air balloon launch at 4 p.m. and the return at dusk uh, with a balloon glow light show. Um, come when you want, stay as long as you like, top the evening off and relax with our many bonfires under the stars, indoor, outdoor, and covered spaces for seating. So I said, oh, um, oh, as always, tickets are limited, must be 21 years or older, which I'm a little surprised by. I would expect that kids would be loving yeah. some of this stuff. Well, so. with barn doors being opened, I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, I think it sounded really fun, actually. I yeah, mean, yeah. really contest and that'd be cool to art. see the quick draw. So yeah, so that is October 22nd, 2022 from 2 p.m. to 9 p.m. to Saturday. And that is at Holy Hill Art Farm, which is 4958 Holy Hill Road 
Hubertus, Wisconsin. It's actually not that far from the Fox and Hounds restaurant. Nope, it's not. So Uncle it's Dick fun. used to live up there. Yeah. So that's what I got, guys. That's our high note. And I will say that I already have the next two cases in my brain. But all right. Well, I hope that you guys enjoyed this case, even though it was a little bit more historic and almost storytelling versus um, a modern murder crime but next case and the one following will bring us back to more modern times i promise if this isn't quite your thing we're going to get back on track but let's just say there's some inspiration that led into it it's a minuscule connection but maybe you'll pick up on it maybe you won't but i hope you enjoyed it i hope you're enjoying the transition into the fall season and hopefully you'll enjoy the flannel fest on the farm sounds like most of us would enjoy it <laughs> but uh until next time eat drink and be wary for listening to beer cheese and murder we would like to also thank the references that make this podcast possible a full list of references can be found on our website at beercheeseandmurderpodcast.com be sure to follow us on instagram at beercheeseandmurderpod where pictures from today's episode are available for your viewing if you would like to share your feedback wisco facts case suggestions stories, or just whatever, please email us at contact at beercheeseandmurderpodcast.com. Don't forget to tell your friends, but most importantly, until next time, eat, drink, and be wary. Uh-huh.